We genuinely love and care for all our neighbors, whether or not they believe as we do. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what the meme says. It's right. a picture of Elder Anderson, and he's speaking in conference. It's got the flowers in the background, and it says, it's particularly heartbreaking when former church members leave and speak out against the church. It is heartbreaking for all of us when harsh or dismissive words about the Savior, his followers, and his church are spoken or published by those who once stood with us, took the sacrament with us, and testified with us of the divine mission of Jesus Christ. They are Judas. We genuinely love and care for all our neighbors, whether or not they believe as we do. Sometimes it's better just not to engage with the Judases. There are times when being a peacemaker means that we resist the impulse to respond and instead with dignity remain quiet. They are Judas. Jesus taught us to withdraw from the circle of anger and contention. In one example, after the Pharisees confronted Jesus and counseled how they might destroy him, the scriptures say that Jesus withdrew himself from them, and miracles occurred as great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. We too can move away from contention and bless the lives of others while not isolating ourselves in our own corner. We genuinely love and care for all our neighbors, whether or not they believe as we do. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 796 General Conference Review Part 2, The Judas Peacemaker Smackdown. And today is going to be a little uh, different. You know, I mean, I say that every once in a while. Um, You may have heard the last episode where Wendy Jensen and I talked about Neil L. Anderson's General Conference talk on peacemakers that was misquoted and turned into a meme that was very un-peacemaker-like. Well, today, I'm going to smack down that talk word for word pretty much, which yeah, isn't really all that different, I guess, because Infants on Thrones has done smackdowns for years, usually as a panel discussion, whereas today it will be a solo act, more of like a smacksturbation, if you will. But the different part is what follows. The different part is what's at the end, because I do something that, honestly, I have never, ever, ever done before. Last night, I stood in front of a crystal singing bowl, and I played it, and I sang words that came to me, yea, verily, I knew not what would come into my head before I doth sang it. And it's, it's short, it's about six minutes long, but I really, I really dig the message, and maybe you will too. I hope that you do, and if you do, I hope that you'll reach out and ask me more about it. So that's what you're in for today, and now... Alright, I, I just am curious. Like, what does it take to actually sit down, take the time to reflect upon the words of a general authority? Now, I I recognize that there's this thing about a general authority that right off the bat, like, I can't say that with a straight face. I just want to laugh. Like, first of all, it's a really funny name. 
He's, he's a general authority. What is he an authority on? Eh, just, he's generally, he's generally just an authority. Like, that's kind of funny to me all by itself. But, you know, so there was this whole Judas meme thing uh, where Neil L. Anderson was accused, quite erroneously, of calling members who left Judases and telling members, you should stay away from the Judases, as if he was encouraging members to shun their family and friends. And, you know, if you're, if you're one of those people who felt like you were in danger of being shunned by a family member because of what this guy says, I'm sorry. And I would like for today's uh, Smackdown to uh, maybe help alleviate some of that because the threat of your family members shunning you or potentially shunning you because of something that uh, an authority, general or otherwise, tells them to do, I, I get that there's that threat and that's kind of a real thing. I think it's maybe a mistake to assign 100% of the blame of that to the Mormon church uh, rather than also the family member who would rather shun you than uh, disobey the prophet. You know, I mean, you disobeyed, right? You, you, when you were put in a situation where you had to choose between something that you felt loyal to in the church or that you felt loyal to in loving somebody who's LGBTQ or also a disbeliever or also questioning, you know, you had this question of loyalty, this test, and you had to choose something. And you made a brave choice of choosing yourself, but it puts you away, separate from some others who don't have that same, for whatever reason, they, they don't have that same uh, ability or willingness or desire to look outside of the church. Anyway, that was longer than I meant it to be. Let's just go right into the talk here from Neil A. Maxwell. I keep wanting to say Neil A. Maxwell. Neil L. Anderson. Because he's trying to encourage people to be peacemakers. Like, what What if the, the, the leaders of the church were encouraging your family members rather than to shun you, but to love you? Is that okay? Um, to make peace with you. Is that okay? All right. Let's see what he's got to say. My dear brothers and sisters. Oh, that still just makes me cringe. Just hearing that kind of stuff, my dear brothers and sisters. Anyway, yeah, what else does he have to say? As we experience sobering days of commotion, contention, and for many, deep suffering. You know, for longtime listeners of Infants on Thrones, you'll probably recognize a three pattern there. I used to talk about three patterns a lot more, especially back in the Mormon Expression days. I would talk about three patterns a lot more now than now uh, I do now, but... This, this way that we have uh, culturally become accustomed to patterning our speech in threes as a way to sound more complete. So what are, what are the three things that he said again? Because I, I always ask myself when I hear three, are these three distinct things? Like, is the reason that I'm being a give, given a list of three right now really because there are actually three things? Or is this just a rhetorical device that's meant to make something sound more complete than it actually is? So... Let's take a closer look at what each one of these three things are, shall we? As we experience sobering days of commotion. Commotion. All right. Contention. Contention. All right. And for many, deep suffering. And deep suffering. Hmm. Will it pass? Does this, does this pass the Glenn Osland three pattern sniff test? Or is there redundancy in here? Commotion, contention. Those aren't the same things. Those are two different things. Deep suffering. Deep suffering, yeah, yeah. I, I I would say they are three distinct things. So I I'm I'm going to give this an A. That that was a very good use of a three pattern, um, not very sloppy. So you passed the first test. <laughs> you didn't even know that you were signing up for Neil L. Anderson. Our hearts are filled with overwhelming gratitude for our Savior and the eternal blessings of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. So, I, you know, I genuinely appreciate that he's invoking gratitude, you know, that he's saying, even though we're, there's a lot of shitty stuff going on, there's still a lot of things to be thankful for. I like that. I kind of wonder when he says we, when, he, when he's saying our hearts, we are fit, who is he talking? Is he talking about like we, the other general 
like random authorities. Maybe we should start calling them random authorities instead of general authorities. We, we the other random authorities. Or does he mean like we, the entire body of the Mormon church, we Mormons uh, as compared to non-Mormons? Or uh, I'm not quite sure who the we is in there. When I think about it from the perspective of like, he's telling me, like if I'm a, another Mormon, he's like, we are so grateful for this day, aren't we? That would feel kind of a little invasive maybe or like he's trying to make me feel a way that he hasn't even asked me if I'm actually feeling that way or not but I mean we're splitting hairs here and there's there's no need to split hairs with Neil L. Anderson is there why would we why would we want to do that we love him and we trust him and we pray that we will forever follow him Jesus we, we love we who the powerful impact of the internet is a blessing and a challenge unique to our time. In a world of social media and information superhighways, one person's voice can be multiplied exponentially. That voice, whether true or false, whether fair or prejudicial, whether kind or cruel, moves instantly across the world. You know, Neil L. Anderson's a pretty, pretty much a master of the three pattern here. Have you noticed this? So what was that first, first one that he said, that the voices can be magnified whether they're true or false? What does that mean? Does that mean the, the things that they're saying are either true or false? I mean, th this is like one of my big things, right, is fictions, that, that even, even the most true things that we have, that we call true, are still uh, little bits and pieces of an incomplete picture that we're cobbling together to say, Yes, this is true, but is I mean, it could change. Once you have better data that comes in, it gets updated. So maybe it's true with an asterisk, but like then it's also false because it's not the complete picture. So I don't, I, that dichotomy of true versus false has really lost a lot of meaning to me and a lot of value to me. And it, it feels like you're basically trying to put somebody in a corner to say you're either good or bad. And... I don't know. I, I recoil against that because I think that everybody's voice is a true voice because it's being created by the wind that comes out of your larynx and your mouth is forming words and it, it's your voice. It's true. It's there. It actually exists. It's real. So your voice is true. Maybe it's the message that he's talking about, but still. All right. All right. All right. Three all rights. Social media posts of thoughtfulness and goodness are often quietly under the radar, while words of contempt and anger are frequently thundering in our ears. And I, I agree with him. I think that's true. And I, I think that as a result of that, when, you know, like whatever we're consuming, we're creating these habits in our own mind, in our own brain. We're like reinforcing things or building new things. And by things, I mean neural pathways. And um, yeah, I, I agree with them. There, there's a lot in the media and there's a lot of ways that it can impact us. Um, yeah. Whether with political philosophy, people in the news, or opinions on the pandemic, no one or no subject is immune from this social phenomenon of polarized voices including the Savior and his restored gospel. All right, so let's, let's recap and restate, because this is a really important skill that I think many of us uh, would do well to uh, focus on and improve in our lives, is, is restating what it is that we're hearing other people say before we just react and respond to it, right? So what is it that he's saying right now? It's simple. There, there's a lot going on in the Internet, and there are people that say good things and people that say bad things about all kinds of stuff that's going on. And guess what? That happens with the Mormon church too, or the Savior's church or whatever. There's people who say good things about it and people who say bad things about it. And he's going to go on in here to talk about how to be a peacemaker in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on. So I applaud the message. I applaud the attempt. Uh, keep going, Neil L. Anderson. The Sermon on the Mount is a message for all, but was specifically given to the Savior's disciples, those who had chosen to follow him. 
The Lord taught how to live then and now in a contemptuous world. Blessed are the peacemakers, he declared, for they shall be called the children of God. So what is he saying right here? Uh, he, he's basically saying this message is to you guys, Mormons. Uh, you know, those of you that are in the, the flock, uh, the Savior wanted you to know back then. He wants you to know right now to be a peacemaker. So the world might be a contentious place, but we would like to create within you peace so that you aren't contentious. That's what I'm hearing him say. And Anything else? Anybody else have? I, I'm on the right path right here? I don't know. I think so. This, this is my take anyway. By the shield of our faith in Jesus Christ, we become peacemakers, quenching, meaning to calm, cool, or extinguished all the fiery darts of the adversary. All of the fiery darts. I, w I wonder if he means by this all of the darts that are thrown or if he's like talking about each individual person. Because I, I wonder what a, a fiery dart is and I wonder what an adversary is. I, I'll, I'll tell you the way that I think about adversary now. I definitely don't think about it as this personified devil but I do think of it as, you know, like if you've got a voice in your head that's telling you that you're no good, you know, if you've got a voice in your head that's saying you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and doggone it, nobody likes you. <laughs> that would be an adversarial voice. That would be an adversary that is creating uh, non-peace within your own psyche. Even if that voice is saying, look at those people, they're stupid. Look at those people, they're dumb. Um, that That is the voice of adversarialness and the fiery darts that come those little thoughts that we have how how would you quiet and quell those because i i think i think the tendency is to look outward and to think oh how, how can i stop somebody from throwing a fiery dart before it hits me or it hits somebody that i love and maybe that's what he means i don't know but i'll tell you from my perspective, where I find value in what he's saying right now is to look at myself and think, where can I stop the fiery darts of my own mind, of my own thinking, before I throw them at somebody else or before I throw them at myself so that I'm making peace instead of making contention, making adversity. That's my thought. And I don't think he's saying anything at this point yet to encourage anybody to be anything other than peaceful but let's keep listening and see because some people got really rankled by this and I want to figure out what is the cause the source of the rankling because rankling I mean it's just you shouldn't rankle don't rankle as we do our part his promise is that we will be called the children of God every person on earth is the offspring of God but to be called the children of God means much, much more. Only if you care about the things that people call you. Like, I, I, I don't know, you're kind of losing me here, Neil Anderson, because this, this is part of that cultural conditioning that um, makes members really pay close attention to what other people think about them. And of course, you know, what they're thinking about other people. It just reinforces a culture of judgment. Like, why do you want to be... Like, because he, he's not talking about this is what makes you a children, a child of God. He's saying you will be called a child of God. Like, you'll be seen by other people or maybe even by God himself. You'll be seen this way. So it's, it's this focus on how you're seen rather than on what you're doing, which, you know, I don't know if he's intentionally going that route or not, but I think that's at least potentially one of the effects of focusing on the way that other people see you. As we come unto Jesus Christ and make covenants with him, we become his seed and heirs of the kingdom, children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. Yeah, this is the first thing that he said that I really actually hate. Um, because he's basically saying, he's, he, it's conditional. Like, he, he's setting up some conditions here. That you're, you're considered a child of God. <laughs> Not because you exist and God, whoever, whatever God is, is the creator of everything that is. And so therefore you're an offspring or a creation of the thing that created you. No, you're not. Um, it's only if you 
come unto Christ uh, and make covenants with him, which can only be done, of course, through the, the ones that have the right authority to bargain for and on behalf of God, who's dead or not dead. But um, anyway, it's, it's like this kind of stuff. Like you make these little moves right here that you're automatically excluding so many people. And uh, I don't like this. I don't like this. Not one bit. Not at all. How does a peacemaker calm and cool the fiery darts? Certainly not by shrinking before those who disparage us. Rather, we remain confident in our faith, sharing our beliefs with conviction, but always void of anger or malice. Well, that's setting up an impossible standard, isn't it? To be always... I mean, here, here we go with the cognitive distortion. Do you know what cognitive distortions are? This is a, a term in the counseling world, in therapy, in psychology, where there are different ways that we think that distort reality in such a way, and they're called cognitive distortions. And, and one of them that should probably be easy for everybody to understand is black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking. It's either this or that. And it's, it's, it's really ironic to me that the Mormon Church, one of the unique founding doctrines of the Mormon Church, really critiqued Christianity's black and white, all or nothing portrayal of the afterworld or the afterlife. It, saying there's not just a heaven and a hell, a good place and a bad place, but there's degrees of glory. You know, three kingdoms, yes, but then multiple kingdoms within, and then, of course, the outer darkness and whatever. But, but there's degrees, there's nuance. That was baked into Mormonism originally, but then it's somehow gotten back to this black or white thinking thing. So what is it that he just said here? How does a peacemaker calm and cool the fiery darts? Sharing our beliefs with conviction, but always void of anger or malice. So let me propose here that anger and malice are some of these fiery darts that you might encounter at some point and would want to transmute into peace through your own transmutation, uh, organically evolved machine that transmutes things, which is your brain, your heart, whatever. You, you, you don't have to stay in anger and malice when you encounter it. But what does sharing your beliefs with conviction have to do with being a peacemaker? Uh, you know, when, like, everybody should be able to share their beliefs with conviction, right? And we know that everybody has conflicting beliefs. Like, no, no two people. I mean, even you take all the Mormons together. I promise you, if I created one of these surveys that I do that asked about beliefs, and uh, you wouldn't find two Mormons that share the same beliefs about the same things, with all the same nuances, with all the different degrees of glory. Like the, Beliefs are unique and subjective, and it's like a fingerprint, like somebody's belief system, worldview. It's all over the place. How do you create peace when there is such diversity in people's beliefs? By declaring it with conviction? Okay, fine, that's half of it. You know, like being... Being confident in what you believe, being able to talk about what you believe, but how about uh, then also being willing to receive and accept what other people's beliefs are with an equal amount of conviction, with an equal amount of curiosity, appreciation, respect, understanding, recognizing that when somebody is sharing their beliefs with you, what they're really doing is saying, here's what's important to me in my life based on everything that I've experienced up to this point and based on nothing that I haven't experienced <laughs> because that would be impossible. So I'm sharing with you what I've experienced over the course of my life or the places that I've been, the people that I've interacted with, the lessons that I've learned, the things that have been important to me, what I remember, you know, the things that I've forgotten, they might be in there somewhere influencing it somehow, but these are my beliefs. This is what I think. What do you think? I, I, I get that in some cases it, it might really be a conflict of beliefs where there can't be coexistence. But is that really the vast majority of this? If, if you really are serious about being a peacemaker, don't stop at just uh, sharing your beliefs with convic conviction. 
receive, like treat other people with respect for their beliefs, especially if they're different from yours. And when you do find a difference, be curious. Try to understand why is it different instead of just thinking, oh, okay, now because there's difference, I've got some anger, I've got some fiery darts, I've got some contention that's of the devil just because what I think doesn't agree with what somebody else thinks. That in itself is, uh, I don't know, I'm, that's not being a peacemaker. I, when, when I do the, my version of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to make that clear. I'm going I'm to clarify that one. Recently, after a strongly worded opinion piece that was critical of the church, Reverend Amos Brown, a national civil rights leader and pastor of the Third Baptist Church in San Francisco, responded, I respect the experience and perspective of the individual who wrote those words. Granted, I don't see what he sees. I counted one of my life's greatest joys to know these leaders of the church, including President Russell M. Nelson. They are, in my estimation, the embodiment of the best leadership our country has to offer. And you know how sometimes in General Conference, you know, mo most of the times in General Conference, the, the video and the audio are like perfectly synced. You're watching what you're hearing. But in this case, when they're talking about Reverend Brown, if that is his real name, they showed a picture of, the, of this Reverend Brown uh, shaking President uh, Neil Anderson. Was that his name? No. <laughs> no. Whoever the prophet of the church is right now. Russell M. Nelson, sorry. Shaking his hand. And um, why would they do that? Why, why, would, why would they want to show? Unless it had something to do with some of the critiques against the church not being racially inclusive. And here's a a black guy, black pastor, non-Mormon, who's hugging and smiling at the prophet of our church. Let's make sure that everybody sees that picture, please. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we make sure that everybody sees that uh, the prophet has uh, a black friend, please? Okay. All right. And we're going to see some similar techniques or tactics that come up with LGBTQ, as Neil L. Anderson wants to make it very, very clear that the Mormon church isn't what they're accused of being as bigots. Like, look, there's pictures, there's evidence here. It's funny, it's, it's comical. But I, I, I get from his perspective, he doesn't see it, he doesn't feel it. He really, he really believes what he's saying, I, I think that. Anyway, let's, let's go back, back. He then added, we can gripe about the way things were. We can refuse to acknowledge all the good going on. But these approaches will not heal our national divisions. As Jesus taught, we don't eradicate evil with more evil. We love generously and live mercifully, even toward those we think to be our enemies. You know, I, I genuinely appreciate, and I think even in my personal life, I strive to emulate the sentiments that were expressed in that quote that was read from Reverend Brown. But I, I do get the sense that it's being used more like a photo op and that the very first thing, the very first part of that quote, it gets kind of glossed over because how many members of the church, especially the random authorities, would say, I respect the person's life experience even if it's different or even if their conclusions are different than mine. I respect them. I respect the experience and perspective of the individual who wrote those words. Granted, I don't see what he sees. Did we really get that? I, I hope so. I mean, if, if we don't, there's an opportunity to change, right? And each one of us should be doing that ourselves, being more respectful. But I, I, I liked the sentiments that were in here. Reverend Brown is a peacemaker. He calmly and respectfully cooled the fiery darts. Peacemakers are not passive. They are persuasive in the Savior's way. What gives us the inner strength to cool, calm, and quench? Cool, calm, and quench. <laughs> Say that five times. Cool, calm, and quench. Cool, calm, and cool, 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 cool. The fiery darts aim toward the truths we love. The strength comes from the, our faith in Jesus Christ 
and our faith in his words. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Moment of silence for the invocation of the 167th annual persecution complex thingy. Two important principles guide our desire to be peacemakers. First, our Heavenly Father has given each individual his or her moral agency with the ability to choose one's own path. This agency is one of the greatest gifts of God. Second, with this agency, our Heavenly Father allowed for opposition in all things. We taste the bitter that we may know to prize the good. Opposition should not surprise us. We learn to distinguish good from evil. We rejoice in the blessing of agency, understanding that there will be many who do not believe what we believe. In fact, few in the latter days will choose to make their faith in Jesus Christ central to all they think and do. You know, I, I think that he started down a path right here that I was really curious to see where he went with it, and it just kind of like ended. Where being a peacemaker relies on two important uh, founding principles. The first one is, uh, what did he say? Moral agency. Oh, right, that, that everybody is like free to make their own choices, free to walk whatever path they're going to walk in their life. They were just created that way. I mean, wh whether, whether you're talking about God, a heavenly father, or you're taking a very atheistic view of we're just created from creation, from nature, um, there still is imbued, you know, no one is compelled to do one thing or another, even though the Mormon church comes really, really close to pushing the boundaries on compelling versus free agency. But everybody's able to walk their own path. That's the first thing, right? And what was the second again? Opposition in all things. Oh yeah, that there's opposition in things. Okay, so these are two principles that he says does uh, guide our desire to be peacemakers because people can choose and there's an array of choices that can be made. I mean, opposition in all things, again, I don't want to go this binary black and white, good or evil kind of thing, because what's the opposite of green? Uh, what's the opposite of light green? Uh, what's the opposite of 73 degrees Fahrenheit? Uh, you know, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of things that uh, don't have an exact opposite, even though if it's really, really cold, you might say that's the opposite, but is it 73 degrees uh, negative 73 degrees? Oh yes, that's negative because we drew a line right there. I mean, it's not the same thing in Celsius. It depends on the measuring system. But, you know, it's these arbitrary ways that we look at the world and organize it into pieces. There are choices that people can make, and then there's going to be conflict. If you've got one person that used their moral agency to choose one thing and then another person chooses another, now you've got conflict or at least diversity, and so you need peace. You need, you need a peacemaker so that that diversity and that conflict doesn't create contention. I think that's what he was going for. I hope that's what he was going for. I'm not sure I totally got that from what he said, but maybe. I don't know. I think that's the overall message. I think that that's where he was going with it. Although, if you really believe that of all of these multiple ways of choosing, that there's really actually only one way that's right. There's really only actually one way that is going to allow God to recognize you as his son or daughter. Uh, there's only one way that makes you a valid part of creation. I don't think that is very much a peacemaker kind of message, but that just may be a blind spot that comes as a result of Neil L. Anderson never really learning how to critically critique and question his own worldview and value system. He's just saying these things that they sound really good, but when you look close at them, you go, okay, well, maybe, maybe we're not measuring up to our own standard that we're putting here. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Let's look closer. Because of social media platforms, 
One voice of disbelief can appear to be a multitude of negative voices. It's so interesting to hear him repeat a sentiment that he expressed earlier at the beginning of the talk, but this time with a little forced laugh. <laughs> one, one voice that sounds like multiple voices, which, I mean, I don't know really what he was intending by it, but I'm pretty comfortable in assuming that he's trying to lead the congregation to follow his, to mirror him with their mirror neurons and to go, oh yeah, there's, it seems like there's a lot of people that are seeing all the flaws in us, but it's really just only a couple and it just seems like it because if there were a lot, then maybe that would make us have to look and see what's going on, but it, that, nothing, nothing to worry about here. Oh, they're just silly. Those naysayers are silly. There's really only a couple of them and it's just like social media makes it seem like there's more. So oh, calm down, be peacemakers. It's all good. There's nothing wrong with our church. But even if it is a multitude of voices, we choose the path of peacemakers. You know, I like this message coming from a random authority, and I hope it's true. I, I hope that, you know, whether it's just a couple of silly people in their mom's basement that are, you know, making a ruckus, or there are actually a lot of people that have uh, contrary opinions about the Mormon church, that the Mormons are going to respond as peacemakers. Um, I don't know if that means that like if you think that being a peacemaker is uh declaring your beliefs with uh confidence or whatever whatever he said about that that that's the way to do it um that's not really creating peace but i already went over that but i i would i would really love for this to be true peacemakers some view the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 as having worldly motives like political business and cultural leaders however we come very differently to our responsibilities. We are not elected or selected from applications without any specific professional preparation. We are called and ordained to bear testimony of the name of Jesus Christ throughout all the world until our final breath. Well, there might not be an informal application process, and there might not be uh, specific institutions and degrees and things like that that you go to to get it but you got to make your bones i mean you're you're you got to prove your obedience and be selected and rise to the top and you got to network and do it like there is a there is a process and you know to, to make the distinction i just this seems like a really odd thing to put into a discussion about being a peacemaker because it's all about being defensive it, it's all responding to criticism. It's responding to accusations. When you're going to say, I mean, he's kind of already said it, but he's going to go on to be even more explicit. When there are naysayers, just don't respond. Okay, so then why do you have to get all defensive about like, yeah, they say that we have worldly motives, but we don't. Look, we're awesome. What is that all about? Is that really about being a peacemaker? I don't know. I don't think so. Because a, a peacemaker would see, oh, there's a conflict right here. I'm just not going to put any more effort into it. I'm not going to put any more energy into it. I don't, there's a divide here between members and non-members. Um, let's just tell the members to love the non-members, and that's it. We don't need to like say how great we are. But we're, there's, there's a lot more of the how great we are that's to come. Which I am mostly just going to skip. We genuinely love and care for all our neighbors, whether or not they believe as we do. Well, that's boring. That doesn't make a very good ex-Mormon meme. <laughs> you love everybody? Come on. Come on, don't, don't preach that. That, that ruins our uh, impression of you. <laughs> Jesus taught us in the parable of the Good Samaritan that those of different beliefs should sincerely reach out to help everyone in need being peacemakers, pursuing good and noble causes. In February, a headline in the Arizona Republic stated, Yeah, this is another one of these really weird pivots that I'm mainly going to skip because, man, I just what he just said right there. We genuinely love and care for all our neighbors, whether or not they believe as we do. What he just said right there is like the heart of this talk, which I absolutely love and I embrace. Like if the Mormon church really did this and was promoting this and only this, I just would absolutely 
love it, stand up and applaud them. But then it pivots to this, oh, and by the way, we want to remind you that there was this article in the newspaper that talked about how the Mormon church was part of a group of people that was helping get gay people uh, rights for housing. And so, see, we're good, which is just more like defensive stuff that you don't need. Some of the attacks upon the Savior were so malicious that he said nothing. And the chief priests and scribes vehemently accused him and mocked him, but Jesus answered them nothing. There are times when being a peacemaker means that we resist the impulse to respond and instead with dignity remain quiet. Yeah, did you hear what you just said? With, with dignity you remain quiet. So why, why does every single, every single general con conference talk or not every single general conference talk, but every single general conference has at least one or two talks that are responding to the criticism of the church instead of just following the Savior's advice here of just be silent, let it go. You don't have to defend yourself. You just be good. Just be good. Just put good stuff in the world. Anyway. It is heartbreaking for all of us when harsh or dismissive words about the Savior, His followers, and His Church are spoken or published by those who once stood with us, took the sacrament with us, and testified with us of the divine mission of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I get that. And I've been one of those people. I've been, I, I definitely, this podcast, Infants on Thrones, has definitely been a vehicle for the kind of stuff that he's talking about here that he experiences as heartbreaking. And I know my father has experienced as heartbreaking. Uh, other people who care about me or care about you are heartbroken when they think that we're doing something that's damaging us. And they don't know any better, they just think that it's damaging us. And you know, like for us to get upset with them because they care about us, it's kind of, you know, something to work on, right? Um, so I get it, but this, this is now we're, when we're getting into meme territory because this part of the meme, or this part of his quote, was used in the meme. But what preceded it? He's, he's talking about the example of the Savior when there would be really horrible things happen and the Savior just would not react and not respond. And so now he's trying to say, look, there are going to be naysayers out there. And some of them are former members of the church. Don't engage in arguments with them is what he's going to go on to say. He's not saying don't interact with them. He's not saying they are Judas. Don't interact with them. Stay away from them. He's saying the type of interaction that you have with them, make it peaceful. Like you create that peace. Don't expect them to create that peace. Oh, I love that message. And I, I just find it so saddening and ironic and quite telling that the real value, like, because there actually is true value that I see in what Neil L. Anderson is saying here, gets lost because of our own pain and hurt about being shunned by people and being misunderstood by people. And I think in most cases, if, if you take us back to, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago when we were still believing church members, we probably would have felt the same way and probably even did feel the same way about people who were on the other side of things, who had experienced things that we didn't understand at the time. And anyway, like, so how do you be a peacemaker in responding to a talk about peacemakers that created so much not peace in the ex-Mormon world? It's just really ironic to me. But uh, yeah, this is, this is the, the crucial part that was memeized. This, is, this also happened during the Savior's ministry. Some of the disciples of Jesus who were with him during his most majestic miracles determined to walk no more with him. Sadly, not all will remain firm in their love for the Savior and their determination to keep his commandments. Um, yeah, but... but also not all who leave the church are doing so because they're devoid of love and so just just some friendly advice neil l anderson here um as as carefully considering your words recognizing that this thing might not be 
in the spirit of not responding and creating peace by not responding. In fact, it's kind of um, setting up this false expectation that people who leave the church don't love the Savior or they don't love truth or they don't love uh, like kitty cats and babies and uh, rainbows and, and flowers and ice cream. You know, like they <laughs> still, still good people, still people who are ethical and moral. But for reasons that I know you cannot understand, they're seeing faults in the church and say, I just can't associate with this anymore. And a lot of times, if, if you really get to know, not everybody, but there are people that have such deep loving hearts and it's the love of truth. It's the, the love of the scriptures. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of trying to sort out contradictions that leads them out of a church of contradictions. Jesus taught us to withdraw from the circle of anger and contention. In one example, after the Pharisees confronted Jesus and counseled how they might destroy him, the scriptures say that Jesus withdrew himself from them, and miracles occurred as great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. We too can move away from contention and bless the lives of others while not isolating ourselves in our own corner. Okay, so is, is that the part where he said that former members of the Church of Judas is that should be uh, shunned and avoided? Because what I heard him say right there is that Jesus just didn't involve himself in conflict. He didn't get, he didn't fight. He wasn't a fighter. He was a lover, not a fighter. And he was a healer. And he, he spent his energy instead of fighting against the people who challenged him. He went and found the people that were in need, who were actually open and receptive to what it is that he was doing and provided healing for them. And, you know, Neil L. Anderson is saying that's what we would like to be as members of this church. I would love to see that. That's what I want to be for me, too. In Muji Mai, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like diverse populations in the world who love Mormons. I'm going to skip over this part, too. Each time I read John chapter 13, I am reminded of the Savior's perfect example as a peacemaker. Jesus lovingly washed the feet of the apostles. Then we read that he was troubled in his spirit as he thought about one he loved preparing to betray him. Oh, all right, okay, so we're getting to the good stuff. So this is the part where he says that the members of the church are Judases and we should just shun them, right? Is this, is this what's happening? Is this where it's going to come? All right, come on, I'm getting my popcorn. I've tried to imagine the thoughts and feelings of the Savior as Judas left. There, he said it, the word Judas. The, he's imagining the, that Jesus felt sad and heartbroken. Remember, he said earlier, heartbroken. He's imagining that Jesus felt heartbroken when Judas left. All right, it's coming. We're almost there. Interestingly, at that sobering moment, Jesus spoke no more about his troubling feelings or about betrayal. Rather, he spoke to his apostles about love, his words cascading through the centuries. Wait, that's it? That's... <laughs> That's all, that's all he said, that Jesus didn't say anything more about the Judas that left, but instead focused on the people that were still there and focused on messages of love. But that's not what the meme said. That's not, that's not what the meme said. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my, my disciples, if ye have love one to another. May we love him and love one another. May we be peacemakers that we may be called the children of God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I have loved you, love almost everyone else. This new Except almost everyone else As long as they're worthy Of your love and acceptance and kindness 
that has grown out of this planet through millennia of evolution. My DNA is unique in a few key ways, as is yours. But mostly, our DNA is pretty much the same. I am 75% water with a fair mixture of carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, This thing that I call my body is a collective of 30 trillion living cells, intelligent organisms that cooperate and communicate in ways that give me life. Intelligent organisms that are made from the stars, atoms and subatomic energy from our sun at the center of this solar system, atoms and subatomic energy from other suns outside of this solar system. Perhaps even the Pleiades, Arcturus, Andromeda. Names that we have given to places that we've never seen. Labels and symbols that we create to try to understand things far beyond our comprehension and direct experience. These are intelligent energies that also cooperate and communicate in ways that give us life. I sat down recently with a friend who also grew out of this planet through millennia of evolution. She reads Akashic Records, trusting her intuition to communicate with these intelligent energies, those energies that cooperate and communicate in ways that give us life. And this is what she said, and this is what we along with those intelligent energies created. Oh my gosh, amazing. So amazing. So yeah, the Arcturians, they stepped in right away and um, they are able to heal space and time and transverse space and time by using sound, sacred geometry, codes. They're the originators of Think It Into Existence. It's the original manifestation energies of if I think it, I can create it and thoughts create your reality. What are stepping in right now are um, the Council of Nine. And so there, there are these nine elders of the Ninth Dimensional Arcturian Collective that have been watching this next movement into the next space of where you're going in this lifetime. They're actually helping you with your music. They're helping with that sound and bringing sound frequencies to the planet, uh, bringing the harmonics of the Arcturian energy down to Earth to help create. There's like a harmonic resonance anchoring into the sphere around the planet. Um, they don't necessarily want anything. They just want you to work through them to work through you and allow the energy in. It's not a ironic because it's not they're they're very thinky but the energy that's coming through is more of a heart space just allow their energy to activate your dna and activate the the wisdom that they're just they're downloading and so you're getting downloads are you getting like tinglys here on the left side of your brain um that's amazing i love that
power within you and you're using it right now you cannot help but use it now you have the power of transformation waves of light that hit your eyeballs and are turned into electronic signals that then feed into your brain. Ripples of sound that hit your eardrum and are transformed into bioelectronic messages through the optic nerve into your brain. You transform them in your heart and in your mind. The words you speak, the words you hear, you transform them into something that feels so real. The world that you experience as real that is created through sensory perception within your meaning-making mind. What is real? It is your perception. It is your creation. power to transform is what you are.
down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So